0: The Daily Tap is live for Tuesday. We will talk about the Packers' interest in Darren Waller and why it makes obvious sense. We will also chat about the Milwaukee Bucks and how to not end up like the Philadelphia 76ers. Why I'm not worried that the Brewers' season is mirroring last year and a little bit on fast food at the very end. Uh, Before we get started, you guys know where to find us, Tapping the Keg on Twitter, Tapping the Keg Sports on Instagram, TikTok, as well as Facebook. Make sure you're following on a few. We'd appreciate it. And then make sure you're rating and reviewing if you're already subscribed. We'd really appreciate you guys and the support and letting people know what we're all about. And if you're not subscribed, make sure you're hitting that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. And to and I know I've, I've, I'm asking a lot of you, but maybe share it to a couple friends. Tell, us, tell them about what we have going. Maybe your buddies who enjoy Wisconsin sports, who don't want to hear the same old thing on local sports radio. All right, let's talk about Darren Waller and the Green Bay Packers. So on Monday afternoon, Aaron Nagler reported that Darren Waller and the Green Bay Packers have mutual interest, more so the Packers have interest in Darren Waller. I shouldn't say Darren Waller has interest because he's not a free agent, but the Packers had interest in Darren Waller. They wanted to bring Darren Waller in. He was supposed to be a part of the Devontae Adams trade, and the league would not allow it due to the the tagging rules and everything like that, which was unbeknownst, I think, to me, and it was obviously unbeknownst to either the Packers front office or the Raiders front office. The deal originally was going to be the the Packers trading away Adams for Waller and the Raiders 22nd pick that was only going to be the deal the second round pick would not be involved because Waller could not get done the Packers were able to get a first and a second for Waller and then hat and er, they have first and a second excuse me for Adams and that was how the deal was going to be done Now, Green Bay did not stop their pursuit of Waller. Green Bay still wanted Waller as part of their team and feels like Waller could be a healthy addition. And this deal, according to Nagler, is going to get done or could get done before the NFL draft starts on Thursday. So this is not a smokescreen. This is not necessarily something that is just out of the blue. It's something I think Green Bay and Vegas are working on. But I would imagine that there is A, some complications of can you trade with a team kind of back to back, first of all. Second of all, I'm sure there is a compensation conversation. Waller is not worth a first round pick. Don't get get it twisted. The Raiders are not gonna get their first round pick back. But I'm sure the question is, which second rounder is Waller worth? And on top of that, would he be worth the second one and Green Bay give more picks back? So let's say the second and the fourth. Let's just put it out there. It would suck to lose an extra draft pick for Darren Waller, right? Because the Green, you could act all well, Green Bay shouldn't have had that second pick in the second round pick in the first place. That's fine, but then losing another pick would kind of suck. And I would imagine that the Raiders are quote unquote charging them a tax. Darren Waller wants to get paid, so the Green Bay Packers will have to do that. But that's not necessarily. A big issue. Darren Waller still has years left on his deal. There's just no guaranteed money left on his deal. Green Bay could give him guaranteed money for this year in the form of a signing bonus, have Darren Waller extended for three or four years, and the money kicks in at the end. So I'm not necessarily too concerned about that contract. Waller did have a tough year with injuries. He missed a bunch of time. He ended up missing seven games last season, or six, excuse me, last season. So there is a little bit of that, but I don't necessarily call him injury prone. Um, it was really one year. I mean, the year prior, he had missed the game. Uh, then he played all 16, and it's kind of his breakout year. So Waller definitely did not have the season that he had in years past. But it's interesting that the Vegas Raiders are ready to give up on a guy like Darren Waller considering how vital he's been to that offense. I realize they have Hunter Renfro, they have Devontae Adams. You'd think that you'd want to keep Darren Waller in terms of athletic dudes. They really don't have a running game. Josh Jacobs is okay, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Raiders go and draft somebody, whether it be in the second round with maybe that Waller pick, or in the third or fourth round, and sort of get themselves an established guy in in, you know, in terms of the backfield, because I don't know if Josh Jacobs is that dude. But to give up on Darren Waller seems a little bit rushed from the Raiders' perspective, but I guess that's something they're looking to do. So whether it's Waller has had issues in terms of their personality and it doesn't necessarily mesh, or they don't think that him and Josh McDaniels will work well together, Josh McDaniels can be a tough guy to get along with, even though I think McDaniels has sort of said it's gonna be different Than my time in Denver. We'll see about that. I don't know if a Tiger can just completely change his stripes. So getting a guy in like Waller with Aaron Rodgers could be just unbelievable. I mean, Waller was an all pro with Derek Carr. Can you imagine what he can do with Aaron Rodgers? Can you imagine the things that Aaron Rodgers will be able to do in the middle of the field with a guy like Darren Waller? He was able to do some great things with Robert Tunney in the middle of the field, and Waller would add even more. And now I know some people will be like, well, what about Robert Tunyon? Why would you need a guy like Waller when you have Robert Tunyon? Well, you can run a lot of 12 personnel, not to get all technical on you guys, but basically what Green Bay can do is they can run two wide receivers, two tight ends, one running back. So they could have Aaron Jones in the backfield, Waller and Tanyan flanked on the tight ends, then have two wide receivers, whether that's Alan Lazard, Randall Cobb, whether that's Alan Lazard, and the draft pick, whoever they do take, um, they could basically have that setup, and that could be their offense kind of going forward. If you remember back in the 90s, now this is way back when, but Green Bay was really successful, won a Super Bowl with basically that setup. They had Antonio Freeman, they had Robert Brooks, then they had. Keith Jackson, who they brought in from Miami, and Mark Shimura, who was a first-round pick for them, and then they had Edgar Bennett in the backfield. That was really Green Bay's bread and butter for years, and that was kind of what Green Bay did to be very, very successful in the late 90s, and it won them a Super Bowl. It's not to say Green Bay can't do it again. By the way, I should mention Brooks did get hurt in that Super Bowl year, and then that became Andre Bad Moon Rising. Bad Moon, as always, is an all-time nickname. Um, You cannot go wrong with the nickname Bad Moon Rising. I think that is an elite nickname when it comes to football. Uh, You don't get much better than Bad Moon. But to, to the point, Green Bay has not really had the capability to run a straight single back offense for a long time. I know they do run a lot of one back stuff, but it's usually they're running 11 personnel, which are three wide receivers. That's necessarily what Green Bay is doing. One one running back, one tight end, three wide receivers, which they still can do a lot of with just Waller, and then Tanyan sort of that second fiddle. The other thing about Tanyan is he will not be back until, I think, October or November. I mean, he has an ACL injury that takes a while to come back from, especially at the tight end position or at a receiver position on top of the fact that the Packers doctors are about as conservative as Ted Cruz you basically have a longer lead time so that's why Robert Tunyon might be you know not even available for this until the second half of the year which again is fine even if you don't have a guy like Waller I think the Packers would look to draft somebody whether it be like a Jeremy Rucker type a Trey McBride Jelani Woods That, to me, would have been Green Bay's M.O., but the fact that they're going to look at Waller would obviously wipe tight end right off the board, and they would have a premier option for Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers would have a go-to guy at the tight end position. Now, I know some people will say, well, Darren Waller can't do some of the things that Devontae Adams does. Yeah, that's true. I mean, he's not a a wide receiver, all right? I mean, you could split him out. Could certainly have him sort of play like a heavy slot. But I I do think you can run a lot of the middle of the field stuff that you saw from Devontae Adams. You can't maybe run the sprints down the field, but you can run tight end seams. You can run sort of these posts and these in routes and things like that. Waller will be a monster. He would be, I think, the top tight end off the board for fantasy if he were to go to the Packers. Now, I know fantasy is not real life, but I'm just saying Waller's value would be immense playing with aaron Rodgers, and i think the packers offense would look really really good with that tight end in place i i think there's a lot to like about the idea of darren waller so we'll see if green bay can get it done if green bay can't get it done I don't know. I don't know what else could be there. Could it be Mike Thomas? Could it be Debo Samuel? I I keep hearing Packers mentioned with Debo Samuel, which I told people it is a dream. I don't expect it to happen. I, I, you know, we did a whole show on it last Tuesday because I thought it was complete fantasy land. I'm like, why would the 49ers want to trade their rival to the Packers? And I, I I don't know, right? I, I don't think that makes sense. I, it's, are these people who keep talking about Debo and the Packers, not as well connected as they wanna be? Is it something that Debo's agents are pushing on a guy like Ian Rappaport, where they're like, we wanna go to the Packers. We wanna play for a guy that's similar to Kyle Shanahan. We just don't wanna play for Kyle Shanahan. I think Kyle Shanahan obviously ran his course with Debo. He burned a bridge somewhere, and I'm not surprised. Kyle Shanahan can be very testy. They're going to draft Trey Leon Burks. I hope everybody realizes that. They're going to move up in the draft, and they're going to draft Burks. Whether it be at the end of the second first round or the start of the second round, they will move up and draft Burks. If I could predict one thing for this draft, they're going to take the kid out of Arkansas. And he's going to be very good for San Francisco. And everybody's going to be really mad. Like, Why did the Packers not draft him? I guarantee you. I've seen this once. I've seen it a million times. Also, other draft stuff, just quickly, since we're talking about Waller, I saw Matt Miller's uh, mock draft this morning. I did not really like it. Um, I'll be honest. I had the Packers just, oh, oh, I forget what it was. It ended up being like a linebacker, or no, what was it? I have to pull it up now. But he started with a guard. First of all, the guard wasn't Zion Johnson, who the Packers are rumored to have interest in. So they had Kenyon Green and Travion Burks. So they had Burks uh, at at the 28 spot. Burks is a guy who I feel like has a low RAS score. I don't expect Burks to be a Packer. I really don't. At this point, I'm kind of out on the idea of Burks but I don't understand why they want to take Zion Green, Zion Johnson and not Kenyon Green. I don't get it. Kenyon Green I feel like has not really been mentioned with a lot of people. I think Zion Johnson has. Tony Pauline had that, the Packers. We're potentially looking at offensive tackle or guard early. Um, I could see them using Zion and plugging and playing. He's, he's ready to go right away. He is friends with Mike Frable's son, Tyler, who played on that Boston College offensive line. Um, and, he, and that's why he mocks uh, Zion to Tennessee. Vrabel also has, you know, they're relate with LaFleur. LaFleur worked with Matt, with Vrabel. I'm sure he could call up Tyler and talk to him. I'm sure there is a connection there, right? And Tyler Vrabel is also a guy that could potentially get picked. A guy I, I would love actually in the later rounds because he just has football blood in him, right? You want to take those kind of guys. So I could definitely see Green Bay... Going after a tackle early. I haven't looked through a ton of mock drafts at this point. I don't really sift through the mock drafts because it's you know it's game time, right? It's we're at the end of it. We don't know exactly where anyone will go. Um, I think at this point it is completely unpredictable. I think that's the fascination here with this draft. Is I saw Matt Miller had a tweet also uh, where he was like, I had someone say Drake Jackson, a guy from USC, who the Packers kind of like. Uh, have a fifth round grade. Some most people, have him as a second round grade. He's like, this is the wildest sort of projection draft, and it could be kicked off with the Jaguars drafting a pure project. The Jaguars drafting a pure project at the number one pick because they don't want to draft a Jim Harbaugh guy because of the Trent Balky-Jim Harbaugh feud is so Jaguars it hurts. It's unbelievably Jaguars. Travion Walker is more of a project than Rashawn Gary, and that's saying something, okay? He does have some talent, but I do not understand it one fucking bit. I don't also understand why Icky Anua is falling, why Charles Cross will be drafted over Icky. That makes no sense to me. Like if Icky drops to 12 or 13, I wonder if you know a team like the Packers thinks about moving up. I would move up for a guy like Evan Neal or Icky if they were gonna go late. It doesn't sound like Evan Neal's going late. It sounds like he might go to the Jets even. I love that. Like I love Evan Neal going early. I think he deserves it. Um, I'm all over Evan Neal. I have big Evan Neal stock. Let's just put it that way. Like if I could buy stock in a lot of these NFL draft players, I would buy a lot in Evan Neal, Kenny, all right, Kevin, uh, Kyle Hamilton. I was like, Kenny Hamilton? No, Kevin, Kyle Hamilton. I'd also buy a lot of Kyle Hamilton stock. I'd buy Desmond Ritter stock. Uh, who else would I buy stock in? If just so we're doing, Jameson Williams probably another dude. I would buy. I'd buy stock in as well. So yes, it will be interesting to see if the Waller stuff happens this today or tomorrow, uh, heading into the draft or even on draft day. Uh, and if not, where do where do the Packers kind of go from there? Moving on to the Milwaukee Bucks. The Milwaukee Bucks are awaiting game number five against the Chicago Bulls. And they have to do everything to not be the Philadelphia 76ers. Philadelphia Sixers had a 3-0 lead. The Sixers were looking like they were going to finish off Toronto in four. Toronto, being the scrappy team that they are, did not allow themselves to get swept. They did not pull a Brooklyn. They were able to fight hard against the Sixers in the game number four and send it back to Philadelphia. And Nick Nurse had a quote that said, well, no one's came back from 3-0, but people have come back from 3-1. It has been done before. And it was a great quote from Nick Nurse to basically go, we're taking this one step at a time. And because Toronto did that, they were able to hold Philadelphia at 82 points in a complete no show from James Harden. Small game James came up again, Brick Ross, you know, delivered and only shot the ball 11 times. Philadelphia, who's dealing with an Embiid injury that's pretty significant, that he's going to need sh- surgery on, needs James Harden to show up. They need James Harden to be the Robin to Embiid's Batman. And James Harden doesn't want to do it. James Harden does not want the playoff smoke. And so now, Philly has to try to close the door on Toronto, in Toronto, and not force a Game 7. I think the 3-0 Game 7 has been done before a couple times, and teams have not been able to finish it off. It's never been done before, but as as sports kind of continues on, it has to be done at least once. And I wonder if this Raptors team... So I was on Toronto Plus 8 yesterday. I didn't take the money line. But I was on Toronto Plus 8 because I looked at that team and I was like, I think not having Fred Van Vliet actually helps Toronto. Like, I think Fred Van Vliet is a little bit of a Ewing Theory type of guy because... I think they can just load up with size and they can run through Pascal Siakam. And because they have the size, I think Precious Achua minutes have been great for Toronto. I think that Toronto is able to sort of fluster Embiid with his injury and him not being at 100%. I think they're able to sort of keep throwing guys at them, whether it's Siakam, Achua, uh, Chris Boucher. I think that's how they're being successful. And I think that's how they're kind of winning this and sort of really looking at Philadelphia. Philly actually scored 88 just to clean that up. I know I said 82. Um, It was 103 to 88 finish. But yeah, they were able to throw those guys at him. Scotty Barnes was able to play 40 minutes yesterday, kind of over his ankle injury. So you're able to put the clamps on James. Harden on Tyrese Maxey Barnes obviously you know really had a great game you know defensively you know Maxey and Harden when it combined nine for 25 so yeah I think they have a lot of dudes right now that are kind of going to be throwing throwing stuff at Embiid and Harden now how do the Bucks avoid this happening how do the Bucks avoid having game six at the United Center They blew out Chicago these last two games. You could argue that Chicago is headed to a funeral at the Pfizer Forum on Wednesday night. They need to come out strong. They need to make sure that, that Chicago doesn't think they have a chance. Chicago might not have Alex Caruso. That would be a major loss for Chicago. Because if Chicago doesn't have Caruso, the lanes open up for Giannis Antetokounmpo all of a sudden, you know, there is not necessarily that path of resistance for Giannis Antetokounmpo to get to the lane. It was a lot more free flowing without Alex Caruso in the second half of that game. So if Caruso does in fact have a concussion and doesn't play, the Bucks should be able to take advantage and win that game and then we have Bucks Celtics whether it be Friday or Saturday. I don't know when game one is starting. For my case, I told you about it yesterday on this show, my wife coming back into town, I would appreciate a Saturday start. Um, Saturday night would be great. If they want to do Saturday night, ABC, I'm all in for that. Garden, get it loud. I'm sure I'm going to get really mad at Dave Portnoy and Sivins. Uh Man, I follow a lot of Boston people, so it's going to be a tough, tough series for me. I will tell you that right now. I know it's going to be that, But I do think that the Bucs can be successful against that Celtics team. They need to close the door though. And how you close that door is make sure the Bulls do not believe. You know, the, Toronto had a great second quarter where they held Philadelphia to 14 points and got out to a 11-point lead. And they were up 11 at halftime. At that point, Toronto believed, right? Toronto knew that they can win this game. The Bucks need to make sure that the Bulls do not believe from the jump. They need to deliver a punch, deliver it early, and not let Chicago get off the mat. Because right now, Chicago is on the mat. They are going to try to get up. They're going to try to muster some courage and be like, all right, maybe we have a quarter, a quarter and a half in us. But if the Bucs were able to, let's say, get out to a 10 or 12 point lead early, Chicago and their guys are going to already talk about making sure they're visiting LeBron in Cancun. Make sure they have their Tulum plans Booked. That's what Chicago that's what the Bucks need to do and make sure Chicago does not get any air. Now there is probably the alternative theory that if you do play Chicago in a game six, you could get more time for Chris Middleton and potentially get Middleton back for the Celtics series. While I understand that, while I think that's important, I do want the Bucks to not have to fuck around. And I don't want to, you know, even give Chicago a chance. I don't want to give Chicago any sort of breathing room and if you're the champions and if you're protecting home court you should be able to deliver the final response the first response was Friday night Giannis mentioned it that it woke them up it mentioned that you know they kind of felt like all right the intensity picked up it's playoff time it's not regular season time and they showed it the last two nights I think they showed again on Wednesday night and then we have a heavyweight fight between Boston and Milwaukee and yet again just like we had in 2021 we have basically the NBA Finals in the second round. Because I think Milwaukee and Boston are the two best teams. I really do. I think they are. I think Miami has shown some resolve. And now Miami looks at Philly. Looks at maybe Toronto. And they could have a pathway to the the conference finals. Honestly. Um, but I, I really look. And we did the powerings yesterday. So I don't need to revisit them. Although I will say Dallas... I, I I think Dallas might beat Phoenix. I, I really do. I mean, it'll depend on Booker's health. But I think Dallas has what it takes to maybe beat Devin Booker. And I would love if we got Luka Giannis in the finals. I would love that to be the international bird versus magic, right? And yeah, the odds, like black eye, white guy, I, I get it, right? It's it's very much. I almost tweeted that out, and I was like, ah, is that racist? I don't know. I don't think it is, but I could see Twitter taking it as it. It's not meant to be. It's just it's how it is, right? And I could really see that being on the table um, right now because I think Dallas has been very impressive. Although I do want to see them against a team that does not hate each other's guts. So yes. I want to see Boston-Milwaukee earlier rather than later. I understand Chris Middleton could be back, but let's finish the deal on Wednesday and not end up like Philadelphia. Moving on to the Milwaukee Brewers. The Milwaukee Brewers had, I think, really their first tough loss of the year against San Francisco yesterday. They got an absolute gem out of Corbin Burns. Corbin Burns was fantastic. Uh, He was able to go six and and two-thirds, Two hits allowed, 11 strikeouts. It was absolutely masterful shit from Burns. He left the game with a 1 0 lead. Green Bay, or Green Bay, Milwaukee could not hold that down uh, as Trevor Gott gives up a home run to Jock Peterson after a bunch of Brewer fans were talking shit to Jock Peterson. I would not recommend talking shit to Jock Peterson as he's owned the Brewers the last couple of years. He is a certified Brewer Killer. Jock Peterson might be the new Jay Bruce. And then the Brewers' bullpen also gives up another two-run homer to Luis Gonzalez after tying the game with Willie Adamas. But the larger point is that the Brewers' offense remains stagnant. This is now the third game in the last four where the Brewers have not been able to score more than three runs. That is a concern. That is definitely something you worry about. Now you'll play Pittsburgh. You should be able to score runs on the Pittsburgh Pirates. It's going to be cold. But I am not ready to push the panic button and say that this is 2021 all over again. I understand the frustration. I understand the concern from the fan base. I saw Todd Rosiak had a column that said basically the same thing today as sort of a recap of Brewers-Giants. It's not, though. I'm not ready to say that because here's the thing. Number one, offense is down all across baseball. This is not just a Brewers thing. This is an MLB thing. Offense is at a premium right now. Why is offensive at a premium? To kind of do sub-bullets from there. Number one, the ball is deadened. Why they're deadening the baseball, I have no fucking idea. I don't know why the baseball doesn't think we want home runs and we want big things. They've went from juice balls to deadened balls in a matter of two years. Baseball is an absolute calamity with what they do with baseballs. There are humidors in every stadium now. So the balls are being put in a humidor, and that is basically slowing down their ball flight. Number two. Number three, the lockout happened. And it takes hitters a longer time to sort of get into a groove and sort of start figuring it out. And then number four, while this isn't as big of a concern for the Brewers because they're indoors, the weather has affected offense. It has been a very cold spring in the Midwest and in the Northeast. It has not necessarily been a bunch of warm temperatures. I do expect offense at some point in baseball to pick up. I don't know when it's going to be, but it's going to be soon. And you're gonna start seeing some bigger results. You saw a little bit of it over the weekend with the Tigers big output, as well as the Cubs big output. So I do think you're gonna start seeing it a little bit more across baseball. So. I will give the Brewers another month. I think the Brewers have another month before I really want to dive into this offense. Basically, let's call it on Aramis Ramirez day. For those who are unfamiliar, Aramis Ramirez would be terrible for the first two months of the year. Every year, Aramis Ramirez would be absolute trash. And then once the calendar turned June, all of a sudden Ramos Ramirez figured it out and was a really good player. So... I I think the Brewers could have a very good May and a very good June, and I wanna just see what that is about. I'm not ready to panic about a team who is a couple games over 500, who's right there with the St. Louis Cardinals in terms of the division, who the Cardinals also blew a game, and I I tweeted this out, but it matters that the Cardinals also blew a game last night, right? So this is a game, yes, the Brewers could have won, but the Cardinals also could have beat the Mets last night, and they didn't. And so that helps the Brewers, right? That immediately impacts Milwaukee, and so the Brewers didn't lose any ground. And you're like, Charlie, it's 15 games into a 182 162-game season. Yes, that's true, but those matter. At the end of the year, that's going to matter. We might You might not realize it, but if they're in a fight with the Cardinals, we're going to look back and say, all right, remember that day where we could have beat the Giants and we didn't, okay? Okay. And tiebreakers and everything else, you don't know. Mets, Giants, Brewers—all those teams should be in the playoffs. So I think that that game does hold some weight, um, and we'll see what happens in the rest of that series. The Brewers obviously don't have to play the Giants; they go out to Pittsburgh, and we'll see how weary they are today because they, you know, obviously flew Philly to Milwaukee, back Milwaukee to Pittsburgh. It's a lot to ask, and I Pittsburgh well rested. They were in Chicago. They had off yesterday, so they've just been sitting at home chilling. Um, so I, I don't have a ton of expectations for today's game. I don't know who uh, Woodruff is facing. I apologize for that. Let's actually look. But I'm not really feeling great about this series in general. PNC Park has been sort of a house of horrors for the Brewers. I, I wouldn't even say it's a house of horrors. I've tw- I tweeted this out, I think, last summer. But like weird shit always seems to happen at the... At the at the Pirates ballpark. I don't know why, but it does. It's an early start time too for those uh, watching, 535. You have Woodruff versus Mitch Keller. Mitch Keller was pretty decent against the Brewers last time around. Keller does struggle at home, so maybe this is something the Brewers can jump on early and sort of get smooth sailing from there. After that matchup, the Brewers will send Aaron Ashby to the mound against Bryce Wilson. Bryce Wilson is bad. Uh, He doesn't miss a lot of bats. That should be a day for the Brewers to take advantage of. And then they have a matinee with Freddy Peralta going up against old friend Jose Quintana. Quintana was terrible last year, but it seemed to figure it out so far this year. He's been pretty impressive. Thus far, I'm um, again. I'm my eyes are watchful on Freddie. He was much better against Philadelphia. Hopefully, continue that. Brewers have struggled again against lefties, so we'll hope maybe this is a breakout moment for them. And then they'll go home to play Chicago. So we'll see what the Brewers can do in this series again against Pittsburgh. You'd like to win two out of three. You should take advantage of playing against the bottom feeders of the National League Central, which include Pittsburgh and Cincinnati. So you take advantage of those and. If the brewers can't that's obviously going to be a disappointment four and two road trip should be the motivation here for the brewers and if they're unable to do that i think that's a, that's a disappointment for sure in their pennsylvania road trip to wrap up the show uh doing a little chuck's corner here so i saw a list it sparked a conversation in my group chat of the top fast foods, it was a fast food draft. I posted it to my Instagram story, tapping the Keg Sports. If you don't follow already, so the list here was not great. Um, the top ten was as followed: it was Chick-fil-A, Shake Shack, Chipotle, McDonald's, In-N-Out, Five Guys, Wendy's, Popeyes, Taco Bell, KFC. So I said this list is awful. Now I thought this was like. Food you'd eat during the draft. And I was going to be like, all right, I don't really think of fast food for an NFL draft party. But then I realized it was just fast food across the board. First of all, having Taco Bell at nine is a fucking calamity. I don't know how anyone could look at that and say Taco Bell deserves to be at the bottom. Taco Bell, McDonald's are your top two picks because they are versatile. They can have breakfast. You can have lunch. They're late night. You have to go with something that you can have at all hours of the day. There's any. There's not much better than Taco Bell through a drive-thru as just a random on a whim. Um, I also would put Qdoba high on that list. I, I don't understand the Chipotle love. I like Qdoba. You could argue it's not fast food. Fine. But I would put Qdoba very high on that list. I also have no idea why no sub place is on that list. Where's the Jimmy John's? Where's the Subway? I would go Jimmy John's over Subway any day of the week, but you can't tell me that a sub, again, universal, whether that is for lunch, whether that's for dinner, whether that's for late night. Like a late night sub is underrated. Like there's nothing better than, and I don't actually think they they don't stay open late anymore, but there was nothing better than going on Brady, going out, getting drunk, coming home, and having a sub for a walk. Having a nice sub to walk home with and enjoy—it makes the walk go quicker. It's enjoyable. It's not also like fill you up or make you feel like shit, like a doghouse would. But yeah, I think Jimmy John's deserves to be up there. I would also put Wendy's a little bit higher. I think Wendy's is a solid, solid fast food option. Also, I don't understand the love for Shake Shack. Shake Shack to me is okay, but it's it's not that good. Um, I, I've never really like been like, oh, I need to go to Shake Shack, which we have one in the third ward. I've never really been motivated to go try Shake Shack. And also if you're going to have Shake Shack on there, you're going to have In-N-Out on there. Where the fuck is Culver's? You have to put Culver's on that list. If you're going to go local, you might as well include Culver's because I was like, oh, it's too local. But then what about In-N-Out? Like how, how can you have In-N-Out on there and not Culver's? I like In-N-Out. Better than Culver's. I will say that. I know that might be sacrilegious in the state of Wisconsin. But it's true. Facts are facts. I would go there first. So this list completely sucks. I'd also put KFC higher than Popeyes. I just think KFC is more versatile than what you're getting at Popeyes. I've also heard great things about Raising Cane's. I've never had it. But I've heard Raising Cane's is delicious. They only do one thing chicken tenders. But I've heard they are phenomenal. I've heard that it is top notch. We talked about doing like a raising canes eating contest in Madison with a few friends after there was I think a barstool thing again. This was no, this was not posted by barstool, Um, and they were saying, "Oh, you know, you could basically could you eat all of this as a group?" And so we talked about a potential eating contest. I don't think it will actually happen, but yeah, I mean, there are just better there are better lists out there. There are much better fast food. Another one that got left off there that I think deserves a mention is Arby's. Arby's is great. Curly, The Arby's curly fries are phenomenal. They are some of the best fries in the game. You put that up there with anybody. I also think Burger King is disrespected. Burger King, while it's not necessarily in the same vein as some of the top tier options, fries are good. The burgers are great. Getting a rodeo burger from Burger King, fantastic. Like, there are a lot better lists here. And having all those burger chains, to me, feels off. It feels like it's someone who is very lazy and let's just throw things together for engagement. It was a terrible list and they deserve to be admonished for that list. So let me know what some of your top picks are, uh, whether that be on on Twitter or on Instagram. I just hate that list altogether. All right, that does it for today's show. We'll be back tomorrow, maybe with Mitch. Uh, potential time in the keg tomorrow. Uh, stay tuned there. We were supposed to do something with Murph. Uh, we weren't able to get it done, uh, which was unfortunate. I will try to get the, the manifesto posted. I know I've been talking about that, but we'll get that done. All right, take care, guys. Have yourself a great Tuesday. We'll be back tomorrow. All right, see you. Bye.